morning again. It's going to take me a second to set up here, and while I'm doing that, I wanted to say, Ryan, what a great job. Ryan, where are you? Right back there? Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, let's show our appreciation to Ryan and the praise team. It's easy to forget that we uh, depend upon the work of volunteers here, and uh, to have a worship service on Sunday morning requires a lot of volunteer work. Uh, I not only want to recognize the praise team, but also the people in the back of the soundboard who I have absolutely tormented trying to get presentations to go up on the screen. So poor Matt, I think he's seeking counseling now, so pray for... But uh, I appreciate all they do. I mean, you, you tend to forget that people volunteer, they give their time, and you know they do it because they want to serve. And so let's give them a, a big hand as well. One of the challenges as you get older, as some of you might know, is that it gets a little hard to see. And things that you could see when you were younger, you just cannot see anymore. Anybody relate to that? All right, so we're hooked up here. Let's see, this. there we go. So we're in Ephesians, right? And today we're going to wrap up Ephesians. Now, Reverend Dwight Brown had got this started, and uh, I came in and kind of he let me crash his party, so I've been uh, going through Ephesians. And I will tell you that uh, there's so much in this passage today, it's exciting to be able to speak on it. Uh, and my prayer is to be able to take what I've prepared and to be able to winnow that down in a way that will have the most impact for you, and that's my prayer, uh, for the kingdom. And when any time you talk about spiritual warfare, you know, here it comes, and uh, <laughs> I'm always aware of that. So I do appreciate those of you who have prayed. And it's kind of a double whammy today because we also have the thing afterwards, and so uh, it's been a, a wild week of presentation, but I'm excited. I had a lot of really, really cool things I'm seeing God do. So let's pray and then uh, we'll get into Ephesians chapter 6, and today we're going to finish out Ephesians. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And uh, we just are so grateful for you and for the son who gave his life for us. And, and looking at Ephesians, what an amazing book and what a privilege to be able to present this book today and to wrap it up. And uh, I just feel honored to be able to do that. I pray that you'd speak to all of us today. Speak through me. pray that the words that are said would be the ones you want said and keep me from saying things I should not say that uh, you don't want said. So it's just your time and we dedicate it to you. Thank you for this amazing book and thank you for Paul who gave his life in your service, who was willing to go to the infinite degree the, to do the hard things, to be able to transmit your word, to proclaim your word. What an amazing example for us that is and inspire us through his life. So we thank you for Paul. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 6 is where we are. Now, I have been informed that I need to give you a summary of Ephesians since we're wrapping up the book. So here you go. Are you ready? There's Ephesians. God made you a new person in Christ. Now live like it. Six chapters, three on our magnificent standing before Jesus Christ who gave his life. Three practical. All right, here's what you do as a result of that. So there's your summary. How's that? Does that work? God made you a new person. In fact, would you read that out loud, please? God made you a new person in Christ. Now live like it. All right, that's great. So welcome to Ephesians. This passage we're going to look at today continues the theme of the new man walking. And we've been talking about the new man for quite a while now. But today what we'll see is the new man walking worthy of the calling in which he was called. We have a new identity now, we talk about idolatry, and we think, yeah, that was those people back then, but I'm going to try to paint a picture for you of what they went through 
And we have our own idolatries, but in, in our coming to Jesus Christ, we've left behind the days of darkness and we've come to Christ. But there's going to be challenge now. And, and I mean, y'all know this. Anybody that says, yeah, come to, to Christ, your problems will go away. I don't know anybody that's ever truly said that and really meant it. I don't know, but it's like, well, welcome to the world of spiritual warfare. You're going you're to have a wild ride, but it's worth it. Uh, the only way to make it through is to recognize your identity in Jesus Christ, to recognize you're a new person, to be strong in the Lord, to strap on his armor and to pray without ceasing. And that's what this passage says today. So today we're going to, if you will, strap it on. Uh, what is it that Troy Calhoun says at Air Force? I love how they play that video for the visiting teams, you know. Uh, what is it? Strap in, strap on, whatever. Welcome to thin air. I love that when the Air Force does that. Isn't that great? It, it means something to me. I don't know about you. So let's talk about the Ephesian situation a little bit quickly. And we've seen this before. But that's the Temple of Diana in Ephesus. And they were worshipers of Diana, a.k.a. Art, AKA Artemis. So they had this pagan center of worship. Now, we tend to look at this and we say, well, it's like going to a movie theater. But this was the center of their life spiritually and in many other ways. And it wasn't just Artemis. They worshipped also uh, Sibylle, Isis, Serapis, and some other, 50 other gods and goddesses in that region. So it was huge. It was not a small thing. And so for Christians who came to Christ, like Acts chapter 19 says, those who believed, they were the ones who burned the text, the magical text, from the false worship there, the idol worship. And basically in front of everybody, they burned the sacred words from the cults there, and they were targets. They were oppressed. They were opposed. There was a price to be paid, and we tend to forget that. So this is not a light thing. If you're an Ephesian, this is the warp and woof of your living in the community. And so spiritual warfare here, for him to talk about it, it's not an accident. It's the real thing of what they were going through, and we need to remember that. So spiritual warfare, obviously, is for us to consider, but back then it was also just a part of their daily life. This is a really amazing passage. In fact, it's, it's a little hard to study, and I don't panic when you hear this, but my notes are twice as long as they normally are today just because there's so much material. And in preparing, um, that does not mean the sermon will be twice as long. I just want to let you know. But in preparing, you keep seeing the same words, and I put them up on the screen if you want to write them down, and it's, it was like, all right, now which stand are we in now? You know, so it got kind of confusing, so it was wrestling, uh, like wrestling alligators to put the, this all together. Paul uses in this section 10 through 20, verses 10 through 20, four times he speaks of stand in some form, four terms for divine power, four terms for prayer, four times he uses the word pos, which means all with relation to prayer, five times he tells us to put on or take up, six times he uses the preposition pros, which means against, that we're against spirit beings in the spiritual realm, and there are six different pieces of armor for the battle to put on. So there's a lot here. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to basically take this section uh, 10 through 20, and I'm going to give you three sections here. There's really three things. Number one, put on the whole armor of God because our battle is spiritual. That's verses 10 through 13. Number two, describes the armor in 14 through 17. And then the third one is 18 through 20, says that prayer is key, key and kind of overrides everything. And if you'll notice, we have four verses I'm not going to get to today. They're the final verses, and so... Maybe next time Dwight preaches, he can get those four. But uh, basically, we're going to move on from Ephesians after today. So what I want to do now is let's go to Ephesians 6, 
let me read the whole section and then I'll go back and make some uh, uh, comments and thoughts on it and uh, just pray for God to inspire all of us through his word. So Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Wow, what a passage. Aren't you glad Paul wrote this? Amen. So when he says in verse 10, be strong in the Lord, it's kind of his summary of basically this whole passage. And what's interesting, you know, we're, we're not giving you a Greek grammar class, but there are times it really affects uh, the passage we're talking about. And this is one of those cases because it's a command, like do this, but it's also expressed in the Greek to where basically it has to be given to you. And what that means is that God provides the resources and uh, for you to stand strong, it has to come from God, but you have to make the choice to respond to God and to take up his armor and to stand strong in him. So it's a little of both. I think this is obvious, but I'm going to say it probably more than once. Um, you and I cannot stand in the spiritual realm. We cannot stand up to the spiritual forces against us. We cannot make it. We don't have that capability in ourselves. But in God and with God's resources, we can make it. Remember, Satan's been at this uh, business of his for how many thousands of years? And we just march onto the scene and we think we got it together. Satan can outcraft any one of us. But the good news is that God gives his armor and gives his resources. I mean, you don't have to say amen, but if you want to, this is a really good time. <laughs> amen. So it's our choice to receive God's armor. And you remember what God told Joshua as he was preparing to go into the promised land way back when. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that was the story of the conquest of Canaan. But here, the hostile forces are in the spiritual realm, and that's tougher, and they are much smarter and more powerful than what Joshua faced. So the bottom line, if you take nothing else away today, the bottom line is this. If you try to do this in your own flesh, and you blow off the spiritual realm, you are doomed to destruction failure. You just can't do it. 
And so he kicks it off right away by saying, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then he says in verse 11, Put on, this is how to be strong, put on the whole armor of God for the purpose that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Man, there's so much here. First of all, this word for put on is the word in Greek to put on clothing, but it's also the word to put on armor. And so it's kind of both, and you know, you strap on your armor. They had so many things they had to put on, put them on in the right sequence, strap on the breastplate, have the belt together, have your sword in place, and all those kind of things. Ephesians 4, 24 said, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.10, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility. So the, the characteristics of Christ we're supposed to put on, and here the armor of God is what we're supposed to put on. So uh, as Troy Calhoun might say, strap it on. That's what God commands. And I love the word whole armor. If you know the word panoply in the English, it comes from this, and it's basically whole armor. It's what the soldier wore. We have six different pieces of equipment that are mentioned. And so to be fully equipped as a soldier, you're going to need to have all of these kind of things. Uh, and the purpose here is that you may be able to stand. And I like that word because it means uh, to, to resist. I will talk more about this in a moment, but when we think of stand, it could be perceived that it just means uh, passively to just stand and take it. But I'm gonna to propose to you that it's an active standing. It's standing, it's resisting, it's fighting back, and uh, time permitting, a little while, I'll tell you, I got an example for that I want to share with you, but we'll get to that in just a little bit. That's why we put on the whole armor so we can resist and fight, because we're fighting supernatural opponents. The word for schemes here, um, you know the word method. Methodeia is a Greek word, and we get method for that, from that, and in the negative, it's used for schemes, crafty schemes, and in this case, the crafty schemes of Satan. And like I said, how long has Satan been at this crafty scheming? For a long time. Now, for years, I've been a student of military history, and I love strategy. And even with reading all of that, uh, just think about how much more Satan knows. And Satan watches, his, his demons watch the believers, and they learn where your weak spots are, my weak spots, and what are they going to go after? Now, you know, in, in the military, there's the idea of coming on with a frontal assault, which causes great uh, damage and destruction. But then there's also the kind of thing of coming around and doing an end around, which in military history has been one of the, the, the great strategies that has been executed. I think if I can mention it, Robert E. Lee at Chancellorsville and what he did there, splitting his army, those kind of things, an amazing risk he took. But during the Civil War, uh, generals sometimes had a frontal assault, a frontal attack, and thousands of men were killed. So the crafty general would try to go around and surprise uh, the enemy, and that's what Satan tries to do with us. So at the time we're looking at a, for a frontal assault, Satan might be working in the background. I guarantee you he is. And I'm not trying to get you to freak out about this. I'm just saying that's the reality. And so when we pray... When I pray, I pray not only against the frontal assault, but I pray for the end around that I'm not seeing coming. You know what I mean? So prayer has to be a pretty thorough, fervent thing. So how does Satan attack? Well, there's a list here I'd like to share with you. He might put thoughts in your mind about something that's enticing but sinful. He might exploit a sinful tendency of yours, such as anger, 
maybe cause it to flare out of control. Satan likes to push our buttons, and he knows what buttons to push. He might try to uh, inspire somebody to come up with a teaching or an idea that's false and dangerous to our souls and tries to get people to buy into it. He might afflict you with a physical condition of some kind. I mean, it does happen. He might send a horrible dream or a demonic manifestation during a night. We see this in the Bible uh, that produces fear, Job 4, Psalm 91. He might entice us to lie. And he might even uh, instigate a series of catastrophes, of calamities. And, uh, you know, and it's ironic, I saw this list, and one of the things was the loss of one's home, which I'll show you in just a second. So Satan can out-scheme you, but don't worry. The power that you have at your disposal is much, much higher than the power Satan has. So that's why he says you, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He wouldn't have said it if it wasn't possible, right? It is possible to stand against Satan. We know Satan's out there, and in no way do I want to glorify Satan today. I'm just saying that that slimy, whatever you want to call him, is out there doing his wicked ways. But we have a greater power. So in verse 12, we have a word, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I thought about having Cam present this because Cam is our wrestling master. He's our guru of wrestling. And he knows all about it because he's wrestled for years, and that's kind of his deal. But the word here for wrestle is also used in the sense of somebody in the military who is trained not only to fight, as we usually think of it, but also to wrestle. We have anybody here that in PE or whatever in school ever wrestled? Uh, yeah, so we've had some people who have wrestled. Wrestling is one of the most exhausting things you can ever do. It's just this constant uh, use of muscles, and it's absolutely exhausting. But in combat, sometimes you get in a situation where there's hand-to-hand -hand fighting, where there basically is wrestling in close quarters combat. And I think that that's the sense in which he meant it here. We are in close quarters combat with the evil one, and he's drawing on the ancient wrestling thing. Now, this is fascinating, I think. There's a story that, uh, from the ancient history about an Ephesian wrestler, a wrestler in Ephesus. It was big there. And he used magic... Believe it or not, he used magic to help defeat his opponents. And there's a quote. This is, this, this is a quote. And at Olympia, when a Milesian and an Ephesian were wrestling, the Milesian was not able to wrestle because the other was holding the Ephesian letters around his ankle. This was a thing around the ankle that had magic powers. When it was clear and they were taken off of him, the Ephesian failed 30 times in a row. So in context, what Paul is saying is put down your magic trinkets and put on God's armor. Now, we've been delivered from darkness. Colossians 1.3 says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. But we wrestle against flesh, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Okay, this is kind of obvious, but let me just point this out for a second. Who's our enemy? Satan. Who else is our enemy? His evil forces. Who's not our enemy? God, for sure. Who else is not our enemy? People. Now look around the room. Do you see an enemy in this room? Only in the supernatural realm. And I think we have to look at it that way with our society. The people out there are not our enemies. They're the people we're trying to reach. But the enemy is Satan. 
wherever he might be in his demonic forces. And we need to remember continually who the real enemy is. And it says here a bit about his hierarchy that we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So there is some kind of hierarchy in the satanic world where Satan is in control of minions. And we have some glimpses in the scripture about there apparently is a high-level demon in charge of one region or another. Uh, there's, for example, the Prince of Persia we'll see in a moment uh, about. Uh, I've always assumed that if Satan were to be running around the, the world, he probably would be going to the strategic places, which would put him in places like Washington, D.C., now uh, Moscow, places like that to work his evil, but he's got forces underneath him arrayed in different areas. This is a bit controversial, but there is a theory, especially in a charismatic community, that you should go into a community and research the spiritual history of that, and there have been stories where people would pray against evil forces in a region, and then there would be spiritual breakthroughs. And I often wonder about that, and I'm not going to go crazy about this, but I've wondered about that with Colorado Springs. We have so many Christians here, right? You know, this is the uh, Protestant Vatican, right? But I wonder some of the areas around us, you know, they've had, a, they've had rough histories. And it's like if we were to pray spiritually, what would we be praying against in these areas? It's kind of interesting. And what would you pray for regarding Colorado Springs? So not to go crazy on it, but there is here a hierarchy. And I often wonder if demons being demons, if actually they, they try to do their own thing and they resist Satan themselves like is there chaos in the satanic world I honestly really don't want to find out until I get to heaven so so that's the deal so I want to share some scriptures with you uh, this morning that I think are absolutely fascinating to think about the spiritual realm uh, the other day I was reading a second Kings 2 Elijah and Elisha were going on this is when Elijah is departing behold chariots of fire now you've seen the movie now read the story and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. What a cool way to go. But Elisha's watching this and he sees the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. I think it's interesting that that is where the power of Israel came from. One of God's commands, this is kind of an oh by the way, but I think it's important. One of God's commands to the kings of Israel was, do not build chariot armies. Trust in me. And Solomon, who was sometimes wise and sometimes a moron, to be honestly honest, was disobedient, and he had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Direct defiance of God. But God makes it clear that the army would be the chariots of Israel. And this is a spiritual army. And there's more in 2 Kings 6. This is the sermon of Elisha. When he woke up, he rose up early in the morning, went out, and behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said to Elisha, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servants probably looking around is like, well, I don't see anybody. So we have to have spiritual eyes, buddy. So Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. My question for us this morning is, 
if we were to open our eyes in the spiritual realm, what would we see around us? You ever think about that? You know, I'm kind of sometimes abstract in my thinking, sometimes. And I think about this, and I, a lot of times I think about it. What exactly is around us right now? What angelic forces are stationed around frag? The forces for good defending us, the forces of evil who would come down on us? What would it look like if I had spiritual eyes to see God's battle? And how would that change my perspective on what God is doing in the world around me? And how would that change my prayer? Because we have a spiritual realm. And we need to remember that. And, and uh, one of the most amazing passages, if you ask me what my favorite book of the Bible is, uh, it's, if it's not Daniel, Daniel is at the top of the list. It's an amazing book, and there's one passage, that I'll just show you part of it right now, that just blows my mind. Daniel is praying. He's got a fervent prayer. There's a prayer of repentance, and he's praying. He's repenting for his country. And in Daniel chapter 10, he said, Behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. How cool is that to be called that way by an angel? Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Which, by the way, is kind of the usual response when an angel speaks to a human. A lot of times they get on their face and the angel will say, I'm not God, get up. But if it's God, it's like, stay down. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. Okay, so the prayer was heard immediately that Daniel made. And this blows my mind. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. The answer could not come for three weeks because the angel with the message was being fought by the king or prince, pardon me, of Persia. In the spiritual realm, there was a stoppage because there was this battle. Three weeks. And I wonder, as an aside, how many times in our prayers we're like, oh, God doesn't answer my prayers. It's like, well, have we ever thought about the fact that maybe there's spiritual warfare going on and there's a reason for it? Only God knows. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Michael himself goes. Now, we know from Scripture there are three angels that are mentioned by name, right? What's one? Michael, the archangel of God. He's on the good side. Gabriel, the messenger angel. And who's the third? Lucifer, a.k.a. Satan, you know, and on and on. So there are the three angels mentioned by name. And so here we see Michael. And so it was a big enough situation that Michael is brought in into this story. And uh, it's pretty amazing. Now, we know Satan's on the attack. And there's eh, sometimes you wonder, has something happened because it just happened or because of a satanic attack? I'm going to talk more about this in June. But I want to show you a quick picture. Uh, when our house burned in Black Forest in June of 2013, uh, different photos were taken by a news helicopter, and I saw we saw our house burn that day on the news. One of the photos that came out later, I think it was in the Denver Post, was this photo. That's our house. 
And I looked at that photo, and the first thing I thought was, I see Satan in that photo. I see a satanic attack. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but it was like there was just a vengeance. Uh, the photo's a little more clear than what you can see there, but uh, I thought there was a vengeance to this activity. What if we were attacked, and only God knows? But just remember, we're not trying to give Satan too much credit, but just understand that uh, we have a lot of stuff going on around us that we can't see, and we make a mistake by only thinking the things we can see are what are reality, right? We need to th think from God's perspective. And our prayers need to be comprehensive with relation to that. And so when we pray, we pray for the big events that are going on. We pray for protection. But I'm going to encourage you to not only pray for that, but to pray for the aftermath. That after a big event, that that's when Satan a lot of times likes to attack. And they teach you this in the military because when you seize an objective, it's easy to say we've seized the objective and now we'll lay off. We'll rest. And so they teach you to do what at the beginning? Put up a 360-degree perimeter, protecting and looking out, waiting for a counterattack. And so we need to pray continually. And Paul minces no, wor minces no words in this passage. It's like you pray all the time because you have an invisible army. However, Ephesians 1, you have a mightier army in your, around your side Ephesians says he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, and far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, those are the angel, demon, hierarchy words, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. When Satan attacks you, you can say, you slimy devil, you might be strong, but I've got somebody on my side, or I'm on his side, and he is stronger than you. And that attack will come but you've got a power available to you that far outclasses the attack against you. So that's why when I preach this, I'm a little reticent to just, I don't want to talk too much about Satan's strategy. I'd rather talk about God and what he can do. And so he says to take up the full armor. Now, a lot of times uh, when we look at this, and I've done it too, you take a look at the Roman armor because Paul at this time was in imprisonment and under house arrest and chained to a Roman soldier. So I've often thought of it as like, you know, he's looking at the Roman soldier, and he's like, yeah, put on the full armor of God, you know, the breastplate of righteousness and all this kind of thing, right? But there's more to it. Because probably what Paul is referring to is not so much the Roman soldier as the divine soldier, the divine warrior, because what we see in Isaiah 11, with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And we see here in Isaiah 11:5 up on the screen, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So what Paul is really saying is that the divine warrior has these characteristics, and that power is available to you if you will choose to strap it on. Isaiah 59, he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head, according to their deeds, so he will repay. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When Satan tells you what a terrible sinner you are, you say, that is correct. That's the way it was. But I have been redeemed by the divine warrior. And his power is there for me. And I stand up against you for him in his power. 
And Satan doesn't like to hear that. When you're being bothered by Satan, may I advise you to say something to Satan? Satan, I've read your history. I've read your destiny. I know where you're going, and you're going to be there for the rest of eternity. Now, you can bother me all you want right now, but your time is limited, and I know where you're going, and it's not going to be pretty. When, God, when Satan reminds you of your reality, or supposed reality, you remind him of his destiny. We had a situation where one of the attacks, I'm going to say this real quick because I'd like to explain more of it later. One of the attacks after the fire when I was working in the ash uh, was God, pardon me, Satan saying, look what God has done to you. And I had to really think about it for reasons I'll share later. And I thought, nope, the truth is, Satan, fire is your destiny, not mine. And you're going to live with it forever, and I hope you enjoyed it, because that's going to be your story. I just hate Satan. I hate for him to get glory. I hate to see what he's doing in this world right now. I detest it. I despise it. But I'm going to focus on Jesus Christ instead. Because it says in Ephesians 3, God is the one who has the power to do exceedingly more than all we ask or think according to the power which mightily works in us. And we can choose what we will fixate on, and I choose to fixate on God. James 4 says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, if you cooperate with him, he's not going to flee. But if you resist him, he will flee. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So the worst thing we can do is to say, I'll take on Satan in my own power. We will be crushed. But Paul says, stand. Take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And I think what that means is that when the smoke clears, you'll still be standing in Jesus Christ and you've strapped on all of your armor and you are prepared to go into battle. Now, uh, share this real quick with you. Uh, this, this, what strikes me about the standing thing here is that when we were in Georgia many moons ago, I was very involved in a Taekwondo studio, and I love Taekwondo, and it was fun, but the guy that owned the studio was a former football coach, and he ran it like football. And so we had extreme high-intensity contact fighting a lot of times. And you would put on pads, but uh, at the same time, even though you had on pad, you can get knocked pretty good even when you're wearing a helmet. You can get knocked pretty good in the chest when you're wearing a chest protector. So it was a lot of fun, and we really went after it. You weren't trying to hurt anybody, but the truth was, if you threw a technique really well, uh, and they weren't defending well, then uh, they could get hurt. I mean, I had my ribs broken, and I broke somebody else's ribs. Not intentionally, but it just happened. This is what you wanted an interim pastor, by the way. I'm just saying. <laughs> So, uh, anyway, in Taekwondo, the interesting thing was, and I, I'm very reticent to do this. I don't want to look like a total idiot up here. I'd rather look just like a half idiot. But, uh, anyway, the thing about Taekwondo, or probably any martial arts, it's about footwork, right? And so when you think about standing, we think about standing here like this. But in Taekwondo, you're going to put a foot back because you're going to be balanced. You're going to bend your knees a little bit. And that will keep them from being able to push you over. But it also enables you to be able to strike because it's not about standing there and taking it it is about giving it to them and we would practice this took a long time to practice and the more uh, coordinated people did this better than I did but uh, you would practice actually standing here and being able to kick somebody without giving any telegraphing of what you're about to do now that takes some work because you know usually you kind of move your feet a little bit 
But you would practice being able to be in the fighting position. We would say bow and go. We would bow to the other person. And then you better immediately get up, you know, where you're protecting yourself and you're able to strike. There's a thing called a back fist where you come over the top like that, hit them on the head. That would be a point. Or you could try to do a reverse punch where you would come in like that to the chest, which took a lot of guts because when you did that, your head was exposed. But uh, we would do all this. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it was great Christian fellowship. It really was. It really was, but uh, it taught you that it's not just about standing, it's about standing in preparation to fight back and to look constantly for the punch you're going to throw. And I think that's what Paul is referring to here, that we are in a battle and God wants us throwing punches and not just standing here. And I want to say, and this is a preview of coming attractions, I've been doing some research on the issue of shame. And it's been interesting, one of the things I've read is that one of Satan's strategies that may be one of his strongest strategies is to call into question your status before God, and he does this with shame. Shame is one of the strongest and greatest tools of Satan, because if he can make you feel vile, he has knocked you out of spiritual combat. We're going to talk about this next week, so I'm not going to say too much right now. <clears throat> if you wrestle with shame, next week is for you. If you know somebody that's wrestling with their identity, next week will be fantastic. And there will be something for all of you. And to counter the idea of shame, I want to give you the good news from Ephesians chapter 1. It speaks here of the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So instead of fixating on Satan or shame, let's fixate on the glory of Jesus Christ and to fixate on the armor which God has graciously given to us to, so that we can live out his plan. And it says here just a couple more things, and I'm going to close her out here. Um, as you look at this passage, uh, in the items of spiritual warfare... In verse 15, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, it's all about footwork, but here it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember Isaiah 52, 7? How beautiful are upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Now God has given us the chance to share his word. Now you may not have beautiful feet, but in Jesus Christ you do to share the gospel. And that's what I think he's referring to here about taking it to Satan that our way of taking it to Satan offensively is by taking the gospel to the world and to get it to them. The shield, by the way, that's a, an image of the Roman shield. Now, this baby here, you would have to be strong to be a Roman soldier because this baby was four feet high, and it was something like plywood, and it was curved, and then they would put cowhide on the top of that so that when flaming missiles and arrows were sent at the shield or at the person, that they would be extinguished on the shield. And the Roman soldiers were proficient at lining up like this with shields all in front of them and then people in the back with shields at an angle so that when the fiery darts came in, they were protected. And that was the shield. It kept you from being a crispy critter. Faith, the faith that we have is our shield, Ephesians 3, that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
By the way, the way that the cult of Artemis in Ephesus attacked the Christians, they believed that the weaponry of Artemis was the bow and the flaming arrow. And so when Paul writes this, he's writing to people who have been persecuted by people who believe in the flaming arrow. And if you did not follow their religion, you could be burned alive. That was their perspective. It makes it come alive for me to see that. The thing about flaming arrows, when the arrows are coming in, you've got your shields there, you're not advancing. Satan's strategy is to keep us pinned down. I'm convinced of this. In a little while, we'll talk about the surveys, but one of the things the elders have told me here at FRAC was that they've spent a couple of years feeling really pinned down because of issues they've had to deal with. And, they, and I mean, I've heard it said, we weren't able to shepherd the body like we wanted to because we were pinned down by Satan. And that happens a lot. Satan's strategy is to pin you down. We can pin ourselves down with possessions, with distractions, with all those kind of things. But Satan tries to keep us pinned down. And when he does, I mean, honestly, we have to deal with it. That's the thing about satanic attack. So I'm working in my study preparing for this, and the lights start flickering, and they keep flickering like somebody's on and off with a switch. And I'm thinking, okay, that's satanic. It really is. But I still have to deal with it, right? Um, this is kind of related, but... Uh, buddy of mine from way, way back, high school days, uh, we were messaging this week, and his wife is an invalid now, and uh, he's taking care of her, and he said in his own words, Sid, I am so pinned down with this. It's all I do. I'm not going to make it. I'm about to basically die. He said, I don't know if there's a God anymore. I, uh, that's just gone to me right now, and I said, well, I want you to hang in there, brother, and I know I'll see. He's like, I really want to see you, and I said, I will see you the reunion in a couple of years, he's like, I won't be there. I won't be alive. And I thought, my goodness, how pinned down he is by the cares of life. That's hard. And I think that's one reason we have to pray for each other, which Paul says here. And, um, you know, it's just, there's just so much here. Um, that is the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God, the words we speak of the Word of God, that's our, our sword. Uh, I'm going to park that down for right now. Um, I want you to look to close out here, because I really need to close out, at verse 20, or back up, verse 18. And I want you to think about this in relation to the body around you. Praying at all times in the Spirit, when? at all times with all prayer how much prayer all and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance how much perseverance all making supplication for all the saints how many saints all and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains for I, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak have you thought about this? This prayer command is put in the context of the community of Jesus Christ. That when soldiers get ready for battle, they help each other get equipped and put on their armor. That our prayers are not just for ourselves, but they're for the body and for the body in its spiritual warfare. Paul himself is about to go into a situation where he will go before 
Emperor Nero in Rome, with all of Nero's officials around him, an incredibly intimidating, fearful experience. And Paul is asking the body of Jesus Christ to pray, to pray for him. How much do we need to pray for each other in the kingdom of God? Now, if you'll bow your head and close your eyes, I know uh, today is a longer message, but there's just so much here. At the heart of our spiritual warfare is prayer. Prayer is a community event. As you bow your head and close your eyes right now, in the spiritual world, in the warfare that you have, what do you need to pray for? What are you wrestling with? Where is Satan getting to you? What are you doing in terms of prayer? Are we taking prayer seriously enough that we're saying, it's the only way I'm going to make it, and I need to ask others to pray for me? Where are we as a church with the gospel in terms of our prayer for the lost? So what I'd like to do right now with our heads bowed and eyes closed is to have a time of commitment that each one of us would say to the Lord, Lord, I have neglected prayer, if that's the case. Lord, I have neglected to pray for my brothers and sisters, if that's the case. Lord, I have neglected to pray for my, our community and our outreach, if that's the case. Lord, I pray right now that you would call me to a new lifetime of prayer, a new season of trusting you and calling upon you, a new time of seeing the spiritual realm around me, And let's just take this seriously. Father God, thank you so much for the body of Jesus Christ here at FRAC. There's not a doubt in my mind, God, that Satan has had this church in his scope for years. But the believers here are here and they're faithful and they love you so much. They are trying to be strong in you. And Lord, I pray that this word today from Ephesians would cause us to be even stronger in our love for one another, in our trust in you, and in our willingness to be assertive in taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us. That we would not hear this today and just uh, take it as an ordinary message, but we would be prompted by the Holy Spirit to remember it's spiritual warfare. We're going to win, but for now we need to take it to Satan. And that's what we pray in Jesus' name.